This is Marketing Then and Now, a talk and tell with Bozo where we talk with experts about trends and practices, current and tried and true, and we tell you how to implement them in your own marketing strategies. It's Marketing Then and Now, now. Hello, and welcome to another tantalizing edition of Then and Now, a talk and tell with Bozell. My name is Jim Mingi, and I will be your host on this journey into the marketing world. And joining me today on this journey is none other than Lauren Hartung. She is a senior account executive here at Bozell. Lauren, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jim. I'm excited to be a guest on the show today. So why do you get to have the word executive in your title? I think I would sound much cooler if I had the word executive in my title. Instead of just being content developer, I could be content executive. That would sound a lot cooler. I know it would sound a lot better on my business cards, you know? Sure. Well, let me tell you a little bit about what I do. So (laughs) as an account executive, I serve as the liaison between the client and the agency. So I'm working to understand uh, the client's marketing and business objectives and help guide the strategic thinking around communication, messaging, and planning. Uh, For me, it's a really fun and interesting role because I get to wear a lot of different hats. Uh, I get to be both strategic and creative, uh, analytical and intuitive, uh, and I get to work with some of the brightest minds at the agency. and the range of projects that we work on are so incredible. So it could be something as you know simple as a you know designing a letterhead uh, to something larger like developing a fully integrated marketing communications plan. And I've got you know these eight objectives I need to tackle, and I need to reach these five different audiences. So the range of what we're doing uh, varies, which is really exciting. Uh, and for me, I've always uh, enjoyed solving a good problem. So uh, I love kind of gathering and consuming all the existing information that's available to us, whether that's you know factual or perceived information, and boiling that all down into something tangible that we can address and um, and solve a problem that we can solve. Okay. All right. Well, let's dive into consumer behaviors. Why do we buy what we buy? Why, Lauren, do I buy all those crazy gadgets off of Amazon at two in the morning? What's behind those impulse buys? Can you tell me that? (laughs) I don't know if I can answer that specifically. Um, (laughs) I blame TikTok. It's those TikTok videos. Yeah. Impulse buys. Absolutely. Yeah, I see it and I need it right now. (laughs) All right. Well, let's dive into consumer behaviors and why do we buy what we buy, the emotions that are involved. And something I'm always curious about is the psychology, the psychology of consumer behavior. Um, But first, maybe tell us a little bit about how you became so interested in consumer behavior and why are consumer behaviors so important to a business's success? Sure. Um, So I first fell in love with consumer research while I was at my last job. Uh, We were a major marketer and manufacturer of pet and health and wellness products. Um, Most of the time while I was there, uh, we were focused on being a fast follower. So we were bringing to market products that were uh, generic equivalents to vet branded products. Uh, And in the last few years that I was there, the company decided to take a strategic shift where we really wanted to focus more on uh, being an innovator and understanding uh, our consumers better and understanding what their unmet needs were. Uh, so that meant that we really needed to do um, a lot more digging. So it was kind of uh, throwing out some of the, the 
you know, age old assumptions that we had of our consumers and uh, start participating in um, some more primary research. Uh, so I was part of the innovation team um, and got to, to lead the team through some of that research. Uh, we did a handful of ethnography research. Uh, ethnography research is um, sort of a, a qualitative method of observing and interacting participants, uh, sorry, interacting with uh, participants in their own environment. Uh, so we did things like in-store shop-alongs. Uh, so we would actually go with the consumer um, to the store, uh, to the section in the store where they would buy uh, their specific product. And we'd kind of sit back and observe. Uh, so we'd, uh, you know, see how they shop the set typically. Uh, you know, what is it that pops out to them? Um, are they able to find their brand easily? Uh, is the set confusing to them? Is it hard for them to shop? Uh, is there signage that they're noticing? Um, so it's really just, again, observing them in their environment to get uh, key insights that we really wouldn't be able to get um, from quantitative research. Uh, you know, typically in quantitative research, uh, you know, they're in a different environment. So they're, they're giving you their answer based on what they think that they do. Uh, but it's uniquely different when we get to see them in action and see what they do. Um, so, so, so how does that work? I mean, do you just like walk behind them with a notebook and, and take notes? Are you allowed to make comments? Like if they pick up a can of sardines and spicy mustard sauce, are you allowed to be like, oh, gross. Why would you want that? Not to mention all the calories packed in that little thing. Nah, pick something else. Or do you just have to be totally silent and just, you know, take your notes? Cool. Yeah. So you try to be as silent as possible because the whole point is to just kind of see, see them in action. So, um, you know, you give them prompts like, Hey, we're going to go to this, you know, go to the, go to the section where you normally buy this product. Uh, just kind of show us what you normally do. Talk about what you're seeing, um, on the shelf, you know, what stands out to you. And then we just kind of let them go. Um, and then from there, you know, you can start to probe for more questions, obviously, you know, not any sort of leading questions, but just trying to get, um, insights from, from their own words. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm guessing with the global pandemic, um, you've been presented a, a unique set of challenges uh, with consumer behavior research. Maybe tell us a little bit about how buying habits have shifted because of the pandemic and, and all the challenges that that's presented. Yeah, certainly. Um, so with the pandemic, you know, our, our lives were really turned upside down. Uh, we can all speak to that from, you know, our own firsthand experiences. We started working from home. We stopped going out to eat, uh, stopped going to grocery and retail stores to shop, uh, you know, stopped going to sporting events and visiting with our friends. Uh, many of us lost jobs or we, we took home, you know, less pay. And so we really started focusing our dollars on uh, grocery items, um, household items, some of those more essential goods that we needed. And we um, spent less on discretionary items. And I think uh, we saw everyone kind of move towards digital. The, you know, our, our adoption of all things digital really increased at lightning speeds, um, specifically for the online, you know, deliveries for things like those, those grocery and house, household items. Uh, you know, we utilized telemedicine more because we didn't want to go into the doctor and, and risk getting, you know, getting sick. Uh, we're obviously working more from home and um, even have e-learners at home now. So yeah, our lives have really shifted. Uh, and I think another a key piece of that is um, we started consuming media very differently. So 
there's some research that we saw where younger consumers have have shifted more towards online videos and streaming. Um, a fun fact is that Disney Plus actually achieved in two months what it took Netflix to achieve in seven years. That was the Mandalorian, and that's what did that. Yeah, that right. might have been what did it. Yeah, but that's how quickly we all jumped on to you know consuming yeah. this content. So will digital then finally you know put brick and mortars out of business for good? Um, how many of these behaviors that we're experiencing now? Um, with with COVID, how how many do you think will stick around post COVID? Hopefully, when we get there, um, you know, are these changes uh, for good, or will we go back to old behaviors? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think I think what's interesting is that you know typically it takes I don't know two months before a new behavior becomes automatic to us before it becomes you know habitual and. In this new world, we've been living in this for you know roughly eight months with no clear end in sight, uh, which means that people have started forming some really new like hard and steady habits. Uh, so there are behaviors that over time you know we're likely to go back to you know such as going out to eat at restaurants and traveling. Uh, but how sticky the behavior is is really dependent on how satisfied we were with our experience with our new behavior that we created. So. Uh, you mentioned digital. You know, I don't. I don't think brick and mortar is going anywhere, but certainly digital will continue to be, you know, a driver. Um, for instance, e-commerce sales were 11% share of total retail sales in 2019. Uh, in 2020, they're now 15%. So it had a mm. you know 4% share growth, uh, which is the the largest growth that it's had over um, you know any year. Uh, so yeah, I think consumers will still will still shop online. Um, another great example is curbside service. So um, a lot of retailers, you know, had curbside service kind of in their pipeline, but hadn't fully scaled to uh, you know launch that. But given the pandemic, they had to. It, it was you know important to yeah. their survival, so they you know quickly um, moved to offering that service. And I think. Uh, once once we got past sort of the influx of some of the you know supply constraints and and working out the kinks, I think people's experience with with curbside service has been great, and so I think you'll you'll continue to see uh, consumers utilizing curbside service. I love curbside service. Do you pull up? Bring me my food. Yeah, <laughs> I I personally haven't adapted it adopted to it. Um, I tend to just go to the grocery store super early in the morning, and I love that there's like no one there, uh, so yeah. I can get in and out. So if you're a marketer in this new world, and and hopefully we can get to a post COVID world soon, what's your number one thing on your list of to dos? If you're a business, what are some aspects of marketing? Um, of your marketing approach that you need to consider right now? What's the number one thing? Yeah, I would say understanding your consumers' uh, buying journeys and their new behaviors. Uh, so if you're, you know, sort of sitting back and, 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 and a, lot of, a lot of companies are in um, reactionary mode, but I think you need to start, you know, planning for the future and understanding, conducting that research. Um, definitely don't don't pull away from those marketing budgets. Uh, use those dollars to understand your consumers more. Um, yeah. You need to be able to kind of you know map where they're at in their purchase cycle, where they're um, especially digitally. You know how are they how are they navigating to get to your product to you know get get to your brands and to buy your products. Um, 
considering that both on your your branded website as well as you know all the different retailer.com sites where your your products are. Um, so I'd say that's number one, understand your consumer. And then from there, um, consider shifting your marketing spending. Um, you know, I think as marketers, especially if you have, um, you know, smaller teams or not a lot of budget, we can kind of get stuck in our ways with, um, you know, doing, doing the same sort of marketing plans that we've always done because they've worked. Well, it, everything's changed. So you, you really have yeah. to take a step back and look at, um, you know, shifting your spending, um, focusing more on digital, focusing on social consider, you know, native advertising, um, utilizing influencers, you know, there's, there's a whole sort, a whole source of, um, you know, tactics that you can utilize that are maybe different than some of the more traditional tactics you were utilizing before. You know what you need? You need a good content executive. Yes. <laughs> to, to really carry your marketing forward. You know, like in a recession or depression, whatever it may be, marketing is the last thing that you want to cut, not the first thing. But so many businesses have this knee-jerk reaction, like, "Oh goodness, we get, you know we got to cut something, we got to cut something, we got to cut marketing, cut our marketing." Well, good luck with that, because that's the last thing you should cut. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're experiencing any sort of um, you know sales declines for you know whatever reason, if it was supply constraints or um, you know maybe maybe your consumer shifted and you didn't shift, I mean, that's all the more reason to again going back to the consumer is understanding. You know, well, who is my consumer today? I mean, every everything is has changed. This is such a silly example, but I want to share it. Um, I love silly examples. Good. Uh, for me, I I was straightening my hair every single day with a with a flat iron. Uh, and in the pandemic, while I'm at home, you know, I have no need to look glamorous anymore. So I've stopped straightening my hair. And what I've noticed is that it's, you know, it feels healthier, it has more body to it. Uh, So that's a, that's a behavior that I'm probably going to continue, even when I go back to work, because it's in a better spot than it was before. Um, So, so it's, it's a silly example, but like, I'm, I'm assuming there's other behaviors like that, that a lot of people have experienced. And if you were to do, if, you know, if Revlon was to do some consumer research and kind of uh, talk to their consumers about how their health and beauty uh, habits have changed, there'd be some really good key insights where it would affect the marketing that they're doing or it would affect the new products that they're launching. Um, so there's just, there's so many, there's so many behaviors and things that have just shifted that marketers need to make sure that they understand about their consumers. Yeah. I'm, th- I'm thinking maybe, you know, curling my hair, you know, once we get back to the office, I don't know. What do you think? Would that be, you think that'd be a good look for me? Sure. <laughs> All right. You know, I, I might just try that. You never know. All right. Well, um, this has been another great conversation with a fellow Bo Zeller. Lots to take away from today's podcast. And we want to thank you for joining us, our dear audience. And thank Lauren for joining us. And we're going to wrap this up. But but before we go, we've got to ask our quick three questions. Uh, beginning with, what is your favorite TV commercial of all time and why? All time is just such a hard one to answer, Jim. Um, all right. I, let's see here. Um, I'm a sarcastic person by nature. Uh, and, I, and I use humor to get me through most things in life, including a pandemic. Uh, so I tend to lean towards, uh, you know, ad, ads that make me laugh. 
because those are also memorable to me. So uh, the newest progressive ad where this life coach takes a support group uh, to a home improvement store and uh, he's trying to help uh, get them back to themselves because they're starting to become like their parents. Do you know this ad that I'm talking about? Mm, No, I don't think so. So it's the one where, so they go to the store and uh, they're doing things like, uh, directing someone, like helping them back them out of a parking spot. Uh, there's a woman who's talking on her cell phone on speaker super loudly. Uh, there's a man who sees a kid walk by with blue hair and the life coach is like, we all see it. We all see it. Uh, and the, <laughs> the tagline is something like, uh, we can't help you from becoming your parents, but we can help you, you know, save on home insurance. Um, But for me, uh, I like it because uh, I'm a mom with two kids and quite often I will say something to them where um, I hear myself say it and then I think, crap, that sounded exactly like my parents. Uh, And I know if my dad were watching that commercial, he would say the same thing. He would say, yeah, I absolutely do those things. So anyways, it relates to me in that way. Uh, And every time I see it, I, I genuinely laugh. (laughs) All right. Um, Here's a consumer behavior question I'm curious about. What are the top three impulse buys at a business like, uh, you know, a grocery store or a a convenience store, you know, Walmart or Target, you know, pop and and candy? Those are obvious. But man, they always seem to have the the exact things that that I'll I'll buy. They're like, you know, I'll see chapstick. Oh, man, I totally need some chapstick. When I wasn't even thinking about chapstick, but maybe tell us about what, do you know what the, the top impulse buys are? Uh, I haven't done any research. I think impulse buys, you'll, you know, typically what's at uh, the checkout counters, counters, as you mentioned, are, are obviously impulse buys. Uh, but I think the end caps at stores uh, yeah. are good indications of impulse buys as well. So the whatever's merchandise on the end caps are typically, you know, aligning with that products uh, sales trends, um, okay. so you might you might see those products out on the end caps uh, ahead of the sales cycle to get people to start thinking about them, or you know certainly during during um, the main the main sales season. But uh, if it's me and I'm at Target, uh, everything's an impulse buy. Oh yeah, totally. Target gets you every time. All right, uh, final question here. If I'm in the mood for a movie or like if I want to learn more about consumer behaviors, but I like pictures. So I want to see a documentary or a feature film. So can you recommend a a good film, probably a documentary that would, you know, teach me a little more about consumer behavior, give me a little more insight Mm -hmm. into that? Um, I would, so it's not a, it's not a movie. It's a, it's a TV series. Um, and I think there's a ton of good examples. Uh, but so working moms is one that I've been watching lately. It's on Netflix. I think it's in its fourth season. Uh, but it's about a group of friends dealing with, uh, the challenges of being working moms. Uh, but what I love about it is that, you know, what they're, what they're each going through, uh, is very different. And that, you know, the, the, the challenges that they have are very different. Um, so they're balancing relationships, they're balancing work, they're balancing family. But um, every week they go to a support group and they kind of talk about you know their lives and what's going on. 
And some of the moms are just killing it, right? They're doing everything by the book. It's so simple for them. Uh, but they're also super judgy uh, for those moms that, that aren't doing everything by the book. And then uh, there's some moms who are, you know, more free spirits. They're taking life as it comes. They're, you know, giving themselves grace for any missteps. Uh, but it's it's all presented in a humorous way. Uh, it brings some levity to the perception that, you know, all moms have it under control and there's this gold standard that we have to live up to. Um but so bringing it back to consumer behavior, if I were a marketer and I just, uh, you know, classified all, all of these moms as working moms, I'd be completely missing the mark on their unique behaviors and personalities and experiences because there isn't one classification of working moms. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot more depth to each one of these, these individuals. So uh, I think that's interesting, uh, and I think it's you know applicable in so many different ways. Another great answer. Those were those were all great answers, and uh, I know I learned a lot today, and, and you offered some great insight. So really appreciate you being here, Lauren. Thanks, Jen. It was fun to be on. Well, all right, that wraps up another tantalizing edition of Then and Now, a talk and tell with Bozell. We want to thank our guest Lauren Hartung for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for joining us and tuning into this podcast. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. Love to get reviews. So until next time, I'm Jim Mingy, signing off from the Bozell Studios at 2215 Harney Street, somewhere in Middle America.